0: And that was where I realized is that change was the only thing that was going to be constant, is you've just got to keep being prepared to make changes. You've got to be pretty bold on things. You've got to look for real opportunities everywhere there is. That's some of the the best improvements we made for people who came in and said, you know what, I've just been looking at this thing and and I think we're looking at it completely wrong. And you know, have we thought about doing this, this and this? And that's some of the biggest changes you made. I mean, they are like seismic changes.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Private Equity Power Talks podcast. I'm your producer, Richard Ayliff. In this episode, we continue our series of looking at an executive job function outside of the CEO role. We'll be focusing on the Chief Operating Officer role and the part they play in making PE backed businesses successful. We're joined by Rob Bolland, COO of Employee Engagement Platform Reward Gateway. Rob joined the business in 2015 following an SBO by Great Hill Partners. Since then he has set the operational foundations that allowed the business to grow rapidly and was intrinsic in Reward Gateway's 2021 sale to RB Partners and Castic Capital. In this pod we discuss the importance of operational hygiene, diligent tech implementation, employee mindset and how to remain resilient through the exit process. Now over to Sam and Rob.
2: Uh, here we are with the next episode of map of the maze we've got rob bolland with us today hi rob hi great to have you with us so rob has uh rob has got some blistering experience under private equity ownership (laughs) in the last six or seven years been through um lots of ups and downs and challenges and great successes at Reward Gateway yes. uh, so we're really interested to sort of get some of those experiences Rob is uh, the COO of Reward Gateway but you didn't actually land into the business as COO did you you, you were hired in as an ops director so yes, you, yes, maybe yeah. just give us a sense of uh, how did you get involved and uh, and the role that you you were initially hired into
0: so yeah I, I came into Reward Gateway uh, just over six and a bit years ago as the Ops director at the time. Um, I've always been in sort of operations, uh, not necessarily in technology businesses or SaaS businesses. Um, I actually, you know, started my career off working in sort of gyms and health and fitness. I've um, always been an avid sportsman, so came across to the UK from South Africa. And uh, I worked for Homes Place, who were then acquired by Virgin Active. And uh, ironically, Virgin Active were a private equity-backed yeah, business. They were. Yeah. Um, still are, I think. They are still. Yeah. They are. But they, they ran, you know, a- again, they ran their business. You, you you knew this term, private equity, but no one ever spoke to you about it. You know, unless you were sort of on the exec, you never, never had any idea what that meant. Right. Um, so I worked there for a number of years. Um and the sales director of Virgin Active and I were, were good friends. He he left Virgin Active and he started working at Reward Gateway, sales director there. And, you know, our careers continued. I left uh, Virgin Active and I, and I moved across to Amazon. Um, so worked at Amazon for a number of years. But I kept in touch with Joe, who was this the sales director at Reward Gateway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he said to me, he said, oh, you got to meet Glenn. Uh, so Glenn was the founder and CEO of, of Reward Gateway. Yeah. and. Uh, he said, you gotta meet him. Uh, he said he's absolutely he's very interested in, in Amazon. Uh, just specifically he's interested in these leadership principles. So, so at Amazon they've got these leadership principles that they very unapologetically sort of hire and fire against. And I uh, he said, you've got to meet him. He's fascinated by this. So I went across and, and, and I met Glenn for a coffee. And I think we had sort of, you know, an hour put in the diary for it, and like three and a half hours later, we were still sort of chatting and it was just, you know, Glenn is a very charismatic guy. Yeah. Uh, he, he's clearly very passionate about what he does, which is a great conversation. You know, he started talking to me about private equity and he said, you know, these are our investors. They're getting towards the end of their investment cycle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when they get towards the end, they're probably 12 to 18 months out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, so what we want to try to do is, we want to try, you know, launch one or two new products That can help us sell the business in 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 sort of 12 to 18 months Mm -hmm. Uh, so i asked a bit what he meant by that and he said well when we get to the end of the cycle we are just selling the business we want to sell the future of the business so we want to have two or three uh additional products that we can say you know these are the future this is where the real money is going to be in the next investment another 30
2: 40 percent year on year growth. oh that's it you know this is where
0: the real hockey stick starts (laughs) it's these it's these products yeah so so glenn ran ran the the sort of sale for a war gateway at that stage you know he he ran it in probably a very different way to anyone would ever run a sort of private equity exit you know but only as how Glenn would do it he had his he put his absolute stamp on it yeah um and it was it was it was probably a longer process I mean it, I think from start to finish it probably the whole thing took at that stage about 12 months but it was about six six months before the the exit he said to me you know we need to think about the operations of this of this business because the one thing that had came out was you know when so in, in some of the due diligence processes and things like that the, the operations of the business and sort of maybe some of the, the operational hygiene maybe weren't where they needed to be and mm-hmm. again when you when you're asking someone for a lot of money um a lot of that confidence comes from being able to, everything that you said in your management pack or you say about your business, you can actually prove, you yeah. know, you've got the data. you. And, and, and it wasn't all there, but not to not to a terrible extent, but it was a gap. Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, one thing we want to be able to say is that we've got new people coming on board. This is their background and this is what they're going to be doing. And, and he's got this operations role. And I mean, I was desperate to get into raw gateway at that stage and so
2: you'd fallen in love with the business yeah absolutely
0: I just just knew it, it was where right I wanted role. to go it was just the right role and that role sounded absolutely perfect um so you joined as ops director
2: yes yeah ops director S- uh, six uh, at the point of almost at the point of transaction wasn't it uh, inflection I mean, my on the way out yeah.
0: and um my first day in the business was the first day of great hill ownership yeah um I mean I remember we had a it's sort of a celebration that day for the business to celebrate the end of the 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 the, the last the last season, the last owners, and, and introduce Great Hill. and I remember sitting in this room, and you know, I, I was wearing a suit because I thought that's what you did. No one else. And no suit. one else did, so you could spot me a mile away. <laughs> and there was only one other person who had sort of a suit on, and it was the person sitting next to me. And I turned to him and I said, you know, introduce myself. And he said, oh, I'm Chris Busby. I'm you know, I'm the new owner of Wall Gateway from Great Hill Partners. And uh, yeah, that was literally my first introduction into it.
2: Yeah. I mean just just touching on that, Glenn's reverse management of, of the exit process because you know, we know Glenn well in Pep Talks. He's he he helps us and he gets involved as a founding member. But what he did there was um, quite different from most exits in that he really went out and hunted for the right mm. next investor in terms of cultural fit and that's, you know, most, most uh, secondary deals happen in terms of engaging a corporate finance firm, IM goes out, you know, you might know one or two of the interested parties and then it's sort of down to who pays the, mm. the highest amount and actually, you know, Glenn looked at it and thought, well, why don't I get to know the right people first? Mm. And make sure that the IM goes to them and they're going to be interested in and and Chris actually turned out to be a a brilliant partner didn't he Um, unbelievable Unbelievable. so it it worked really well Um, so you landed into this ops role which involved sounds like pretty big transformation uh, operational transformation professionalization required so you knew a little bit about private equity because you've been at Virgin. Yeah, I, I knew the term private, but equity. you didn't. You didn't know the ins and outs of what was really required. Now you're into quite a senior leadership role, which requires you sort of pushing and changing the business. And just describe those sort of early yeah. moments in the role and trying to get your head around PE.
0: Well, it's funny because I went into it just how you were going to any business. You know, it was like I didn't go into it going, "Oh, this is a this is a private equity backed business, so I need to change my approach." So I went into it. As we're going to sort of all my other roles you know with quite a longer term view in, in place mm. um but the thing that you know glenn glenn had done and this this also was very important in how we did the sales everyone in reward gateway knows what private equity is i mean they know the ins and out they know as much as they can do about what private equity is and and that's critical because then everyone understands why you're doing what you're doing and that was where like at virgin you knew this title private equity Mm. had no idea it was never spoken about whereas glenn you know he would run and he's still you know doug's doing them now he's the new ceo but they they run these courses and calls and updates to ensure everyone knows this is what our owners do And, and it was only about sort of Maybe after about my sort of third or fourth month into it, where I started realizing, you know what, this is actually, it's not a traditional business model, this. Mm. You know, you go into a traditional or, or like a different type of business, you do, it's a bit more longer term. Mm. Um, whereas private equity, immediately from day dot, it's, you know, that in four to five years, this is over. This They, they want to sell they've already got the valuation in mind, they know, right, you know, they bought it for X, they want to sell it for at least two, three times that. And then I realized, I was like, oh, you can't take a, a sort of traditional, general business approach to this because it's not a traditional business. It doesn't, you know, they're not thinking 10, 15 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're thinking three, four, five years in the future, and you've got to do a, so it was through conversations with with Glenn, um, and, you know, I started talking about some of the, the things I wanted to do. And he was like, just go get them done. Just go do them. You know, and he said, because we're at the start of the season, if we need to spend money, let's spend it now. And so we call it seasons. So every single investor we have, we call it a season. So we're on season four now. Mm. This is our fourth private equity partner. Um, and I said to him, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you're going to spend money, we spend it now. Because he said, you know, as we get further into the season we're going to be harder on what we spend money on. And, and, and again, it was, it was really, you know, then I started understanding it was right. Okay. There's actually seasons within the season, you know, there's places where we, we, we can do, we've got more flexibility able to us. Um, and then he started talking to me about other levers you could pull, you know, and he would say to me, you know, like we must start looking at acquisitions. And again, I would never really been heavily involved and I knew what they were. And he started saying, these are the different levers that we can get. If we buy something at like this, we can, you know, we can get these synergies out of it. We can... And it was just this new world started opening to me. Mm. And that was where I realized is that change was the only thing that was going to be constant, is you've just got to keep being prepared to make changes. You've got to be pretty bold on things. You've got to look look at things, I think, through a slightly more abstract lens than you would through a logical lens. And You've got to look for real opportunities everywhere there is. But because... I was getting this education in in private. I started understanding some of the levers. Started understanding some of the things we could look at mm. and realize. You know, if we invest in something now, to you know, it was almost on the, on the operation. It was about efficiencies, because mm. um, it was very much we needed to grow the revenue, but we had to grow the revenue while keeping our costs. Because you know, that was we had to grow that gap between it. And it was like, right, so you know what we've got to essentially, you know, we used to always joke around, you've got to get more more juice from the oranges. You know, how do you get more of these clients on board? Mm. But how do you keep your staff and you just look for these efficiencies because we would say every efficiency, every dollar we saved, every pound we saved is worth six or seven. Yeah. And it was the same thing every one we spent was worth six or seven. Mm. But the whole business thought like that mm. um so it also makes it a lot easier when i needed to go in and i did you know when i went in, i had to make quite sizable changes whether it was on people or processes or just generally anything operational i needed to go in and changes that i probably would have done slightly slower in other businesses and now I, I could never go into another business where it was sort of well, put a change in place, mm. leave it for a while, measure the impact, it and, then to st- it, it now, and then go. Whereas now, it's like, just get stuck in. You yeah. got to do it.
2: Well, what was your starting point? Did you, in terms of getting, you know, building the operational transformational plan? How did you, how did you approach that? Did you, did you look at what was just wrong and then go about fixing it, or did you think about um, what does the end need to look like and work backwards? What was, what was the approach?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a. I'm a big Stephen Covey fan, so I always um start with the end in mind, and it was sort of we, you know, what what do we need? What do we need to be doing? Um, and again, it was very much we knew what revenues we needed to be achieving. We knew kind of what the revenue per client was, so we could break it down, and it was all right. Well, you know, we've got to have three times as many clients as we have now. Um, but the basic sort of equation was with 40% so you had to almost 300% more clients with 40% more staff that was it and the other thing that really came through was when you're asking you know an investor for four or five hundred million pounds Mm -hmm. you've got to build their confidence and that means is that anything they ask you for it might be the most you know it might be the most basic thing like a client list If you can't produce that instantly, very quickly, with the highest level of accuracy, it's very difficult to ask for that money because the confidence is is not there. Mm. Um, And so that was, I I realized I really needed to improve the hygiene of the operational side of the business so that when we were, you know, when we got to a stage of where we did need to, and and I had been given the due diligence questions that were asked in the previous sale. So you knew what you knew so what I, they thought. Was I, so wrong. I could go through these, mm. and it was like you know how. Where was this information? Was it easy to find? And you could see where the gaps were, mm. and a lot of the stuff. Again, in in, in the, you know other businesses, you wouldn't even think about because you're not asked for it. Yeah. Because those businesses aren't thinking about selling it, you know, so they're not going to ask for that. And I, I realised, I like, right, you know, I really got to try ensure that from a, an operational and client perspective we've got the most accurate cleanest up-to-date and you've got to try think ahead of time what other stuff are they going to ask for how you know and, and it's almost like rude cause can you go i always say can you go nine levels down so if they ask you why nine times mm. can you can you produce nine sort of different variants of information that give that answer
1: mm.
0: so that was sort of where i started was i realized right we've got a we're going to have a lot more work to do. Ie, you know, we're going to have a lot more clients, but I've got going to have less staff than I've got now to do it. So, how do we how do we automate? How do we do that? Um, so how, how did how
2: did you do that? I, I guess you know, and think about it in a number of ways. Like how did you do that in terms of people? So, you know, you must have had to get that sort of core cool team right and the, the core cool structure right. And then how how do you Double, triple the volume of clients, and keep the cost base the same.
0: I mean, so for people, yeah, yeah, you, you know, I did have to, suppose structurally and with actual people, make some, you know, some substantial changes. Um, but I mean, through my through the last six years, I've probably done that four times. Is you know, I'm I'm very comfortable with change. I, I think it's important. So whether it's people changes or structural changes, I, I have done that consistently because I, I just think you always you get to a point then you do need to change it because you need to optimise, you need to look for different ways to do it. Um, you know, so so I was very open up front when I went in and explained to the teams, I said, you know, we're gonna have to do things differently. Um, but I also realised people had been there longer than I had. So you have you, you ask them, you say, you know, mm-hmm. talk to me about your day to day, what are you spending your time on? And uh, you realise is that there's a lot of, I mean, we, we you know, use a term for a lot of manual automation. Um, so you know, people might think that this, the system is, sort of doing all of these things. But what's actually happening is just a lot of work happening in the background. And you know, it's about alignment between departments. Is your, is your engineering department, are are they are they thinking right? You know, what I've got to spend time with our support department because they're actually listening to the client every single day. Or is the engineering just really focused on new sales? You've got to find that balance between the two because in technology, it's very easy to continue to build new features without looking in the rear view mirror and go, am I building this in a scalable way? Am I building this in a way that's as self-service as possible um, that isn't going to require me to sort of just continue to add people on the back mm. to kind of make sure that it's all working and it's all working correctly. And we spent a, lot, spent a long time with the people who, who had spent time in the business. And, and, and you know, they, they're absolute gold because they tell you 60%, 70% of what you need to do. You don't need to, you don't need to go look for it anywhere. They say to you, this yeah. is what my life exists of. Yeah. And the reason, you know, I'm so busy or the reason I can only have 30 clients instead of 50 clients is I spend 70% of my time, you know, manually doing this or, you know, this continues to go wrong. And you think, well, if I fix that... Mm. So, you know, we really just created an open dialogue for people who, especially who are client-facing, be able to put their hands up and go... There's something uh, wrong here. Yeah, and that that was something I learned. Amazon taught me that. Because, you know, Amazon is all about... I mean, it's milliseconds of improvement there. You know, that's what you're fighting for every single day. And, uh, you know, they introduced this sort of mentality of, of a Kaizen mentality, which is very much... Any waste is not acceptable. And the the people who tell you about the waste so the people who are doing the work you know you can't sit up in the, you know in the operations office and think you actually know what's going on it's literally the people who are picking or packing or stowing mm-hmm. using the tools They're the other ones that actually know where all of the the gaps are and so we would run these processes every sort of month where you would take people off the front and they would say to you, you know what if you know, that the scanner did this one different thing, and probably, and you test it and you go and you would do it. And I just had that mentality.
2: Mm. Is that what Glenn was trying to tap into right at the beginning of your conversations, those, those sort of cultural mindsets that he was interested in at Amazon? He was,
0: he's, you know, Glenn looks at all businesses, I think, like that, and he's the he's the, the most value-driven CEO I think I've ever met by country, and I think that's what makes him who he is. Mm. Uh, you know, and he's he's got these, he, you know, help create these values at Reward Gateway. But he's very much, these, these values don't just sit on the wall. These values are what we live and breathe every day. And, you know, if if everything we do, whether it's a product, a new product feature, and if it doesn't reflect one of those values, then we just don't do it. Mm. And he was, and that's the same thing at Amazon. Um, but we did, we brought in a lot of policies from Amazon. I mean, measurements that they use at Amazon I introduced at Reward Gateway, something like, You know, we've got like a D they had a defects per million order DPMO, which is a quality metric at Amazon, and we introduced that at Reward Gateway. So how how did that work at Reward Gateway? Well what we said was was again, you know, the 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 support team are saying to us, we're getting a lot of calls. You know, we're getting a real high volume of calls about these products. And if you did X, Y, and Z, the calls would drop. And and, you know, I said, well, how are we measuring? How are we actually measuring the number of sort of real calls per, per product? And there wasn't really too much of a detailed measurement. So it's like, well, let's introduce a, quali- a quality measurement per product. So every single call that comes in per product, people aren't calling in to say, I just called, to, you know, because I love your product. They're calling in because something's gone wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So every single call that came in, that's a defect because something's gone wrong in the journey and you can then measure that and then you know how many successful orders are happening through your product so you just you can create this measurement that suddenly you've got this this defect measurement that it it becomes like a north star you've got to drop this down because by dropping down that metric by improving the quality of your product you suddenly have got a far more scalable proposition because people are going to come back they're going to use it more but really what's also really important there is you you can continue to have more people using the product without having to have more people at the back end to pick up any of the issues that are happening mm-hmm. so essentially you actually make the product far more profitable yeah so you're fixing
2: um some of the sort of operational weaknesses and you're doing that first of all by talking to the people on the front line and understanding you know what are the problems where are the priorities and how do we fix them um what's next after that uh because i think you said that so sort of you can get probably get about 60 percent yeah that. what you, about, about those the other 40 percent? those are the, those are the quick
0: fixes the rest yeah. is it's software there's there are there's tools out there that are you know everything is there's is a, is a software piece that to automate something mm-hmm. um and there, there are a lot of them because everyone sort of i think you know knows now the The holy grail is automating as much as possible so that your systems are self-sufficient. They run on their own. Um, And, you know, I was looking at, so we had the client success department. And again, you know, is it's a it's a big department. There's only so many clients that a client success manager can can have before the the service they deliver drops. Mm -hmm. And um, how many can they have? Well, it's up to your business. It's up to your business. You need know, yeah, your business. How many? Anywhere between ten and, and fifty. Right. You know, because there's different complexity depending on how many size of client, the size number. of client, number of products. Mm-hmm. They have. They might have one product. They might have nine. So, so it's anywhere between ten and fifty. Where when I started, it was between forty and a hundred. Um, so the ironic thing is, is actually it's dropped, um, which you would think, well, you wanted to go the other yeah, way. Yeah. Where's the scalability? Yeah. Um, but what I did was I. Was, you use the, you know, you started, I started using Google and started going and and, and sort of Googling client success and I started reaching out to people um, through LinkedIn and I started going to quite a few events uh, and there was an event hosted by a business, this very, very successful business now called Gainsight, which was this sort of Salesforce-backed customer success software and they had a, they had a, a sort of a, a webinar and I joined this webinar and it was all about automation and client success. And I remember sitting there and thinking, This is this is an unbelievable. How do, you know, how have I not heard of this before? Or how have we not done something with this? Um, and I immediately got on the phone to them and, and I called them. I said, you know, you've got to, got to give me a demo of how we can use this. And I essentially all it is is it's automating human behaviors. So it's it's, you know, you sort of are plugging in metrics that you know what's client success really is about making your clients more successful, um, but it's about plugging in some of those behaviours, and because you're on a you're on you're a technology platform, you're tracking everything. Mm. And give us an example of how that, a, that would work for you. Then so, for example, if we we know if a certain if product usage drops below a certain level, that client's going to be at risk because they're just not using the product enough. Yeah. So you've got two ways of doing it. You can ask people to manually every day when they come in, they can pull a report and they can look at usage. And then they can go, these three, four clients, their usage has dropped down. I need to go and call them. I need to reach out to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or you can automate a system or plug in a system that does that for you, but far more proactively.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And instead of looking at one metric, because, again, you know, people only have so much time, they only have so much bandwidth, so instead of looking at one metric, you can ask a system to look at ten metrics. And it can automatically say to you, and you can say to the system, if this happens, if this metric drops below this, or this metric drops below this, or something as this person leaves the job and there's a new stakeholder come into it, or whatever it is. Yeah. I need this to be flagged. Yeah. And what that suddenly means is that You've, you've got client success teams there. The, the, first of all, the, the, the manual tasks are getting, doing, taking, yeah. cool. are getting taken care of. Yeah. So the system is automatically reaching out to clients on behalf of the, yeah. the client success managers, reaching out to them and going, listen, you know, when can... They? So you're taking away all of this work mm. from a client success manager, but you're actually making them more effective because they're speaking to the right clients at the right time. And they don't have to come in and spend sort of 40 percent of their morning
2: trying to figure out, to figure out who I, you know, yeah.
0: who should I be calling or answering the phone to people who are calling in, and then sometimes you're not calling the right ones. Mm. And just by putting that in place, um, so did we, you end up using that system? We didn't actually. All right. So the funny I thing is, some wisdom here. Yeah. The right reason on. we didn't actually end up using them was we. They came out. I was determined to use them. But because our operational hygiene was, wasn't good enough, it wouldn't have been effective. Because right. a system is only as good as the data you put in it. If you put it in rubbish, you're going to get out rubbish. So again, it actually woke me up and said, until I can tidy up the basic operational hygiene, I can't even use these tools. So I went on a, a sort of a crusade, and it was you know, really... And it's not a difficult thing to do. You just need to get people to understand why, because it's not the most exciting thing, to be fair. But no one under, you know, you've got to explain the why. And, you know, I still remember I was in, in Hatton Garden, I hired a room there, I got everyone in, the whole client success team, all of the implementation teams, and I said to them, and I actually showed them the software first, because I knew it would blow them away, because they're going to ask, going to make my life so much easier. Mm. So I showed the software to them and said, but I can't install it because that the hygiene here our client you know our, our sort of sales force hygiene that's just not up to scratch and it was like raka so what we're going to do for the next sort of three four months this is all we're doing every single week yeah. we're running a new report and it took about two months because they were like let's get this in place but again it came down to if you don't have the basic fundamental foundation set up correctly nothing works so did it go in, in the end, site Unfortunately, not so we, we did use a similar, we did use a similar tool. Uh, it's a competitive environment and we went <laughs> with one of their competitors, but I'll yeah. always, I'm a big proponent of this and I'll always take my hat off to them, I think. You know, yeah, they, they taught they, you something, didn't they? They, they? they revolutionized it and I still, I still follow them exceptionally closely. Yeah. Do you think, so? do you think what you've
2: just explained there is, is it's like um, pieces of uh, two or three Significant pieces of the sort of puzzle and jigsaw of getting this right. You, you you started on the basis of trying to understand where the sort of hot issues were, and you didn't do that with a grand plan and coming in and telling everybody what you're going to do. You just you, you just spent a lot of time listening to the coal face. You'd learned that at Amazon, um, and then you you worked with the with the right people. Uh, you found the right people within the structure already of the organisation and got them working on fixing you know the highest yeah. priority problems and then you look to automate as much as you possibly could and and to to do that though you, you didn't have all the answers did you i mean as a, as an ops director and now coo i mean you're sort of one of the top uh, three execs in the business you didn't you didn't go in with a sort of all the all the solutions in in mind or in place in your head you had to go out and figure it out and you? you had to go out i suppose that's the key isn't it yeah. you have got to go and educate yourself as quickly Absolutely. as possible i mean i
0: still i still don't have all the answers. No. I mean, well, nobody does. No right? one does. And I think you've got, if, if you ever go into anything thinking, I know exactly what I need to do and how to do it, I think you're going to set yourself up. Especially
2: in this, this oh, world. Mm. You
0: know, because again, also every single owner that comes in, they're going to have very different expectations. You know, I mean, I look at our current owners versus our previous ones, it world apart. Complete world apart. Um, but also the world fundamentally changes quickly, especially, you know, we work in sort of sass and it's so fast
2: mm.
0: you know so what you might be focusing on one day doesn't necessarily mean you know that's what you're going to be doing the next day uh, and that's where you just got to surround yourself by people who you know can make that I mean the most the biggest thing I did is I've just been lucky with, with good hires you know they always say you hire people better than you yeah
2: well, <coughs> so what, did you, what do you look for in people in, when you're taking on a challenge like this um, you know what sort of mindset. Mindset, Um, I guess, more than skill set, because that's not going to apply to everybody listening to the podcast. What sort of character and mindset do you look for for people in your team?
0: The biggest, the number one thing for me is being comfortable with change. Anyone who likes routine and isn't prepared or isn't really want to go out and do things differently is is just not going to. you know and, and and being comfortable with change is and, and that's through, through throughout the business that's not just people who sort of directly work for me it's across all of our business i think that's something that we we really do look for you know we internally we call it push the boundaries but it is someone who wants to come in and do something slightly different and, and doesn't want routine because it's you know you, you you're not going to grow at the speed you need to grow this isn't a business and these aren't you know the private equity people aren't Single-digit growth for them is just not in their vocabulary, no. and you have to be very, very prepared, and and, and love change, mm. um, you know. And again, if you think of some of the bigger levers you can pull, things like um, you know mergers and acquisitions and things like that's just that's it's tough, but it is. It's just a real change mentality, and then I think the other thing, and it kind of fits into it is it's an abstract mindset is someone who can look at something but from a completely different angle because again I think you know you're obviously going to get a lot of stuff wrong but it's the stuff that you get right that's that's what fundamentally changes and especially when you're you're trying to look at how you do things you know whether it's efficiencies that's some of the the best improvements we made were people who came in and said, you know what, I've just been looking at this thing, and, and I think we're looking at it completely wrong. And, you know, have we thought about doing this, this, and this? And that's some of the biggest changes you made. I mean, they are they're like seismic changes, mm. but you just need people to look at things slightly differently, a bit more abstract. So your role has,
2: uh, you, you've, you've been on that sort of... Uh, it's definitely not typical but that that great career growth curve that private equity offers to management teams you know starting an ops role then you went to uh, customer and product wasn't it cpo yes. Um, yes and now you're the coo yes um so you know your roles and responsibilities have um, dramatically uh risen as the business has grown over the last six years I'm just, uh, I don't quite know how to sort of phrase what I'm thinking, but, you know, that's that's a sort of meteoric journey um, for you. But there must have been some sort of moments where you think, wow, (laughs) you know, I've got a bit more on my plate now and, you know, a bit more um, uh, responsibility and accountability. And and with management teams, sometimes that, you know, that that sort of um, feeling of risk can overwhelm them somewhat. Um, Yeah. How, how did you did you think about that as you were transitioning up 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 the sort of curve
0: in terms of management? Yeah, I mean, response? How you did had, you handle had if you had said to me when I started that my role would encompass what it encompasses now, I would never have. Um, but I think you know being one of the pluses of being in private equity business that moves so fast is there's opportunity everywhere. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I still remember is so I was moved from ops director into a group client success director, uh, joining the sort of leadership team. And that was after about 12 months of, of being there. Uh, and that was, you know, Glenn was making, he was growing the leadership team. He wanted the leadership team to be a bit more functional and department led, um, you know, again, because he wanted to get from where we were to where we wanted to get to. He wanted to make some changes. And, and again, we're seeing that now in the new owners is we're making changes internally again. More senior opportunities are opening, um, but then yeah, it he, he was about probably about seven, six months after that. I remember he said to me, he wanted to merge my role and the chief product officer role into a single into a single entity um, because he wanted to get the customer's voice closer to product and engineering, and I'd never worked in product in my life. I mean, you know, it was something that's obviously you look across and it sounds like a fun thing to it, but never worked. And this is a business that's got, you know, eight, nine products and it's, it's you know, it's its core technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's one of those things I think you you go, well, if you've got a good team around you, you've, you know, I implicitly trusted Glenn. Um, Doug was, was, he was COO slash CFO at that time. I uh, implicitly trusted him, and I said, "They're not going to give you this role. they I don't think you can do it." Mm. Um, and yeah, it was—it was—it was, it was, it was absolutely. Was, I mean, it was a journey. Um, but then I think you just keep the basic fundamentals of good people around you. Um, and you know, so 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 that role, and then it was in the, it was a group customer and product director role, and then that. Became the CEO role uh, about twelve months after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, now what? 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 Your realms of responsibilities? Like so, is it? Oh, I would say sort of if if it touches a client in our business, it sits under my remit. So apart from sort of frontline sales and, and, and kind of finance, the rest of the business will sit mm-hmm. will sit in my remit. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's varied, you know. There's there's always a lot, but again, as I've been really lucky, and I've got good people who run each of those departments um so I actually think I've got the easy job and they've all got the hard one mm. um but we we, you know we have had to make changes we're going to have to make changes again and we're going to have to make changes again after that mm. um you know we're across a lot of geography so we've got to do things different in each geography um and like every business you have good quarters and good years you've got bad quarters and bad years and you've got to you know, there is, there's, there's good ups and downs and that, but you, you surround yourself by good people. You hire good people. I think it makes it a lot easier. Um, and I thought, I mean, I've really enjoyed it and I think it's a multi-skilled, you know, there's lots of different things, but the fundamentals remain the same. It's, it's people first. Yeah. So last
2: question, if you were, um, cause you just, you, you came into the business at the point of transac- transaction last time and now you've just taken the business through a transaction in the, last, um, in the last 12 months. Was it, I was saying six months ago. About That's six months.
0: Yeah, yeah, so we started the process in December, finished in April. Mm-hmm.
2: So what would you tell yourself about exits, having been through one now,
0: maybe four or five years ago, if you're having a conversation with yourself? Um, I think if I had, the the first thing, I probably would have done this i actually would have I would have started my 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 own education around private equity a bit you know if it wasn't for glenn i think i would have been a bit ign- like even more ignorant. and he is
2: quite unique no oh, i mean,
0: he does really educate his team yeah I, but learn. i think that's i mean that's brilliant if i if i was ever to be in a similar position to him that's the first thing i did that's the biggest lesson i take away from him in a private equity business Make sure every single person in your business fundamentally understands what that means because mm. it just, you're all in alignment. You understand why decisions get made like they do. Mm. Um, but then going through the process, I think it's, you know, you, you, everyone who's been through a process, and, and I had been put in touch with a number of people who had been through the process, um, and I was put in touch with them was to, to kind of really try, give me at least a taste of what it was going to be like because yeah. it's obviously, it's exciting, uh, and you go into it, you get very excited, and think, this is just going to be fantastic. And everyone you speak to goes, it's not going to be as fantastic as you think it is. But you, 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 you go, oh, no, you know, it's going to be great. Mm. And it is, it's, it, it's tough. Um, you, you face, you know, because again, as you've worked in this business for, for a number of years, this is, this is something you've built up, and you know, you're working every day. And you do you, you build these management decks, and and obviously the the people who build the management decks they make your business incredible. Um, and you read these management decks, and you go, this is going to be, you know, everyone's going to be fighting over themselves. Everyone's going to want to buy it. I mean, this is just this is going to be such a great process. <laughs> and you start having these sort of conversations with potential buyers, and um, so for us we had these we had our, our chats in the evenings. So sort of we had two or three. These are side, side chats yep. in the evenings because um we're people from sort of different time zones so we would have them kind of start about five thirty 30 they go to about 9 30 10 and uh every thursday afternoon at four o'clock then we would have a catch up with our bankers hmm. and about quarter to four they would send through the slide deck for the four o'clock conversation and you wouldn't look at anything you'd go to the last slide because the last slide was everyone who had either had a reach out or everyone who had been on a fireside chat, and it would tell you, you know, a bit of feedback, but it would say if they had left the process or not.
2: Yeah, they're in or they're out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you you get no's. you get a lot of those, and each one is like a crushing blow because <laughs> you don't know love you, if you've done this fireside chat and you and it and it's always very they they they're, they're enjoyable. Yeah, you don't you don't get the sense it's going no because you know the badly. investors are also that, you know, they will need to sell themselves to you as, as the business. Yeah. And uh, so they're always very, very, you know, nice, and you finish and you have quite a positive... And then you see afterwards, and and some of the things that you've led with as your, your USPs, you know, they come and go, that's not a USP, so we're not following. You're not going to continue the process. Or, you know, this metric that you think is a very good metric is a very bad metric. And it is, it's, it's tough. And then you, you get to... You do get to a point where you actually there's, there's nights you, you go to sleep and you go this might not happen we might not actually find someone a who's willing to pay the price we need, or we just might not find anyone who's willing to pay anything yeah. and um, it, 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 and and I remember doug he you know he's been through this a few times and he said to me that you know there's going to be nights like that and until you have your first one, you don't believe that it's going to happen. You do. You have a lot of them, and you don't sleep that evening. Um, and you know. And and this is the one thing Glenn had said to me was you've got to look after yourself because it's just relentless. You know, you've got to do your day job. Your day job doesn't stop. So you're doing your day job plus you're trying to sell the business, and you know these investors. You've alongside the fireside chats, they're coming back with, and this is where that operational hygiene is so important. They're coming back with pages and pages of really detailed questions mm-hmm. and what you don't want to be doing is a panicking because you don't have that information or be trying to scramble around to, to find it and make it make sense mm-hmm. um because one it's stressful doing that at the best of times but also you're still trying to run the day-to-day so it's 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 a very you know you've got to look after yourself and that was the number one thing glenn had said to me you've got to make sure you like you look after yourself and so i think going into the process now i just be prepared that not everyone's going to love you mm. but you'll find there'll be someone there'll be the right thing at the end it'll work out mm. uh, and the other one would be is just look after yourself make sure you know you take the time out it is relentless you know expect
2: to work hard yeah, yeah
0: yeah you know and and when you get to the end of it it's it's very nice it's a lovely feeling lasts about 37 seconds because <laughs> then you've got to get it back to work
2: yeah the stakes have just been risen yeah
0: but you, you've got to, your 120 face you've got to enjoy it you've got to really take a step back and go you know people are willing to invest a lot of money in something that you've had a part yeah. in, in developing and you've got to be proud of that
2: okay Rob well, that's been great thank you very carry much. on no I love being here thank you Um, that's thank you very much no, thank thanks you. for talking to thank us thank you very much